0: You're listening to Dr. Ward Bond's Life-Changing Wellness, the fastest-growing natural health, nutrition, and inspiration podcast in the nation. Uplifting stories, powerful messages, and triumph over adversity, the experience of entertainment and encouragement is about to begin. And now your host, Dr. Ward Bond.
1: Thor Ramsey has been a stand-up comedian for over three decades and was featured in three thou shalt laugh comedy movies, which sold over a half a million DVDs, we were broadcast on Netflix and cable television. He also wrote the screenplay and starred in the 2021 hit comedy feature film, Church People, and he is here with his latest book, The End Times Comedy Show. Not only will it make you laugh out loud, but it tackles some controversial issues, one being the deconstructing faith movement in the evangelical community. So ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome comedian, author, actor, and screenplay writer, the always funny and thought provoker that he is Thor Ramsey, to the show. Welcome, thanks first. for having me. Yeah. To here. Great to have you back. Well, how did you come up with this amazing idea for this book?
0: Well, you know, so this I started this book in nineteen ninety-seven and nineteen ninety-eight, which is why it's that's where it's set. <laughs> so I just I kind of left it where I started it and I've just worked on it on and off throughout the years, but uh, you know what prompted it is I wanted to do – this was actually before The Passion of the Christ was released. But I, I had an idea – it originally started as a movie idea, but I wanted to do a movie that really portrayed the crucifixion in all its brutality. But I didn't want to just do a standard crucifixion story. I didn't want to just do one of the Gospels. So I was thinking to myself, well, what, you know, what could – what could, how, how could you actually show the crucifixion if you weren't doing a gospel? And I thought, well, what if, you know, what if I had somebody who uh, God gave a vision to or a dream to that found themselves literally being crucified with Christ, as Scripture says, you know, we've been crucified with Christ. So I thought, well, let me just explore that. And that kind of just started from that idea. And, uh, and I thought, well, why would God give someone a dream? Why would they be being, you know, crucified with Christ? You start asking what if, and you start asking all those questions, and 28 years later, you have a novel. you know, <laughs> well, you know it,
1: It's it's kind of uh, funny, not funny ha-ha per se, but to, to think that if we actually took the place of one of the thieves hanging next to Christ. and Yeah, that's kind of the idea. Yeah, you know, and, and knowing that you're looking over, And, you know, his cross is probably sitting a little few feet forward than the two behind him. So you get to look at the guy that's technically or is truly dying for your sins, but
0: you're going, you're either going to go with him or you're going to be like the other one and you're not. (laughs) Yeah. So that's kind of how, well, that's the the premise is basically it's a stand-up comedian. You know, you're right what you know. So it's a uh, stand-up comedian in the secular market. Um, who's living in Los Angeles, and I wrote it from my experiences that I had in Los Angeles in the secular market, but, um, but I basically put the character in the world of the most influential Christian family in evangelicalism, kind of like this, like Francis Schaeffer. So I basically just made myself part of, part of Francis Schaeffer's family in one respect and just fictionalized them but so this 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 is the background he comes from. But he's trying to lose his faith is the idea. He wants to lose his faith. He doesn't realize there's actually an underlying bitterness as to why he wants to lose his faith. That comes out later. But that's the idea. He's just out there, and he's having trouble shaking the family faith. Is kind of that. That's where the satirical element comes in. It's someone who's actually now this is before the word deconstruction became such you know a uh, uh, kind of a go to word. But that's really what he's trying to do in one sense. He's trying to deconvert from his evangelical faith. But the satirical element comes in. He can't. He can't shake it. He's kind of in denial of it. Well, what I liked was is that he is a preacher's
1: kid, which really makes the story extremely believable. Instead of just having a character that goes, okay, I become a minister. Now I don't want to be but you have a preacher's kid who grew up in it, saw it, sees everything. And especially when your book opened up, I mean, the first chapter is just pure movie gold. I mean, the character in your book, Sam. And as I was reading along, I can literally see either Paul Rudd or Ben Stiller playing that part because knowing the truth, because they their care, you know they're the type of actor that if you look at most of their movies, they're always trying to find a reason as to where life is leading them and they, and they mess it up and and it's almost like they come back full circle. but knowing the truth and trying everything in their human power to run away from it and still finding undeniable truth in the process. Did I get that right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I would say really this character is um, is really a believer who's trying to be an unbeliever is really the the, the premise because he's not. I didn't want to do a, um, you know, when, in multiple drafts it started out as a conversion story, but you know that it, that you just feel like they're kind of overdone. So you're like, I didn't want to do a what you call a traditional conversion story. Well, and one of the my other feeling is I feel like real conversion stories just you can't fictionalize those that like when people share their true conversion stories they're powerful and you cannot capture that same power of the story in a fictionalized account that's my feeling so i didn't want to try to do that because i felt like you can't really duplicate that um that's why god has conversion stories because they're so powerful yeah um, so, so, yeah,
1: so, yeah your book and ladies and gentlemen, you literally, you have to read this book because it I call it a work of literary art because it really is. Well, good. The book is so well written, and I will promise you this, as I was reading through it, I thought I was actually reading a true story. It's very compelling. And I thought, where did your character development actually come from?
0: Well, um, you know, again, the the, the the adage is you write what you know, because fiction is basically two things. You take little snippets of your own life because you've experienced it and then you steal from a lot of other people and never tell them. Um, so that's why so a lot of times people will share a story with you and you know, secretly you're thinking to yourself, oh, I'm going to I'm going to use that someday in a, <laughs> a novel or a screenplay. But you'll get no credit. Uh, you know, I'm sorry, I'm just stealing from your life. But what you're trying to do is you're trying to build a world in a fictional account, whether it's a screenplay or a novel, and you're trying to sell the reality of it. And that's why you use little segments of reality. But in my own experience, I fell away for over a decade. Um, You know, I I became a Christian my freshman year of college, walked with Christ for three years, um, got introduced to some really bad theology, I will say that. And so that's really what shipwrecked my faith was bad theology. Um, So I'm really big on theology now. It's like I didn't get, you know, my my discipleship that I went through didn't really take me into the depth of the gospel. It just said, do these things. Get up every day, have a quiet time, share the gospel, come with us on spring break to Florida, share the gospel on the beach, you know, to do all these different things. But never really taking me into the depths depths of the gospel. And so – uh, and once I, I was doing all those things sincerely, and then I got introduced to some really bad theology, um, it ended up shipwrecking my faith. And so I, then and, and it was during those years that I began stand-up comedy. And so I didn't consider myself a Christian anymore because I was introduced to a theology that taught you could lose your salvation. So because I wasn't living as a Christian, I wasn't, you know reading my Bible every day and praying and, you know, witnessing to people. But secretly, I still believed everything in the Bible. I still believed the Bible. I still believed that Christ was the living. I always thought it was the truth. I just believed that I walked away from him and now I wasn't his anymore. And so it was just a really weird state of mind. But that, that was kind of part of the, uh, the uh, impetus of the character, too. But you, because, you, have, a,
1: you have a line – and in your book, and I, I think when when it when you wrote it, it it was seared into my brain. Mm. And because the line of the book reads, "A bad doctor can kill you, but a bad preacher can damn your soul." And I, I thought that I'm like, "Oh wow!" And how much of that is going on today? And then here you are telling the story that you had walked away from. The faith due, due to bad theology, and there's a lot of bad theology out there today, yeah. damaging lives
0: yes, yes, well, not now I believe so in in hindsight, I look back on my life and go, I believe I was a true Christian, because one of the one of the biblical principles is if you 're truly Christ, then you'll even if you backslide horribly and you can he'll bring you back. Yeah. Now that's that's just a biblical theological principle, and if you're not Christ, then you can apostatize. You can start denying the basic doctrines of the Christian faith. You deny that Jesus was the Son of God. You'll st- you'll start denying the the primary doctrines that all Christians must confess and must believe in order to be called Christian. Um, now I never you know did that. Now I I had some bad theology that made me think I could lose my salvation, so I never called my. Thank you know the one thing I am thankful for is I never called myself a Christian. When I was when I wasn't walking in a way that actually would glorify, I was walking in a way that would dishonor Christ. So when I was doing that, I never said, "Oh yeah, I'm a Christian." You know, I never did one of those. You know, which you meet people like that, you're like, "No, you know, you're well." Like the character and the well, I will say this to for your listeners: it's whatever they expect of Christian fiction, don't expect that. <laughs> you know, this is not your standard. Probably this is probably not your standard you know, mass market Christian, but it's, you know, but like I said, reading the book, I literally thought I
1: was reading a real life true story because that's how well you wrote it, which is great because when people do read this book, they're going to see some things that they're going to be able to relate to. And, You know, my question to you is why are we seeing more people trying to walk away from Christianity by deconversion? Has today's church created a more cynical attitude or is the attitude more about today's church's delivery of the good news that is lessening the power of Christ?
0: Well, that's a great question. I mean, I think it's I think it's I think we have created an environment of the church where it's more palatable to do those things. But I think part of the deconversion movement is I don't think deconversion be I don't think it's an intellectual exercise. I think deconversion is emotional. Um, You have someone who has an issue with something, and and that it's secret to begin with. They're going through the motions. They're, I mean, they whether they think they believe uh, because I feel like if someone truly deconverts, then they're probably not a believer to begin with. Um, But they for whatever reason they're immersed in evangelicalism they're giving it a shot they're giving it their best try but secretly they really struggle with some of the doctrines for you know like i would say you know big ones are you know uh well just looking at humanity this has never changed but i think the things they'll struggle with are the sexual um the sexual morality of christianity i think a lot of people struggle with like you you look at this like even secular people i love jesus i love his life his teachings but oh the morality of christianity i can't stand and that's what you you have people struggling with the issue of same sex marriage or sex outside of marriage really just you know the christian sexual ethic now it might be something else but i think a lot of it is they'll struggle with some particular issue emotionally and they just can't emotionally get there and then because they can't get there emotionally they start looking For things to justify their emotional state. So the intellectual part comes later, and it's not really a truly intellectual struggle with something within the faith. I believe that they find intellectual arguments that will justify their emotional state so that they can live the way they want to live without, you know, because what happens in life is that when your mind and your heart aren't in sync, then your soul is in turmoil and people can't live that way you know so if, if you think one way and you're living another you're all in turmoil so you got to get your mind and your heart even on even on its it, with whether it's self deception you got to get them on the same level so that you can then live freely and and be without uh, that inner you know yeah because you know a lot of the stories
1: that i read and i'm talking real people wanting to leave the faith or they they come out they get the publicist to tell everybody, hey, I'm leaving the church. I'm, I'm leaving Christianity, and this is why. You got the first part perfect. It's always emotion. And I always wonder, is most of the time with these people who are wanting to deconvert, is it because of them watching? Maybe is it the pastor they're serving? Is it the ministry that they're serving in? And it's not living up. To what the word says. So they're they're looking outward at the human element of Christianity being served instead of yeah. looking and keeping their eyes on Christ solely and and not realizing, hey, we're not perfect. And then they think, well, this is there's
0: yeah. nothing. I think happened. it's always a combination of that old, you know, trifecta, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Yeah. Um certainly, you know. I think there's a lot of, unfortunately, I don't think the, and I don't want to blame the people who discipled me, you know, but I would do it differently. Like I handle new Christians in a different way. Now I take them, I, you know, I, I don't even tell them to do anything You know, I don't start with what they should do. I start with their belief in Christ and let's go deeper in who he is, what that means for the world, what that means for us, and just really go into the depth of the gospel of the good news of his death, of his life, death, and resurrection. That's all part of the gospel. Um, and so I really delve into who God is. That's where I begin and, and just really delve there. And it's all, you know, people might think it's, it's too focused on the mind, but I'm going, I've always been the kind of person I need to be believed. I need to be convinced in my mind before it gets to my heart. Now, some people are reversed. They just go by their gut instinct and everyone's a little different, but I still feel like, for a really solid walk, you have to have a solid foundation and that foundation is never our feelings, it's never emotional. that foundation is always the truth of the scriptures and what they teach that you know that's where our faith comes from. So if we don't teach them you know here's why the Bible is reliable, all these different things, um, then I think later than when they get influenced you're always we're always going to be influenced by the world and our own flesh. Pulling us different ways—that's just always part of life. And uh, just you know, the world has won the culture wars in that sense. And so, if we continue to look to the world, and it does shape us, whether we want it to or not, you know, the world's shaping us. If we if we have a Netflix account or a Prime, you know, Amazon account, we're watching those movies, and whether we admit it or not, that worldview is seeping in. It's it's if it's not shaping us, it's certainly you know, trying to, it's certainly trying to, because every novel, every screenplay, every point of view, every talking head comes with a worldview. And that worldview is either in line with the truth, how God has revealed it, or it is working against it. And there's no neutrality. There is no neutral ground. Neutral ground is a myth. And so that's really what we're struggling with, I think. And if you don't have a solid foundation in Christ, then yeah, you can be well it's the it's the biblical you can be tossed about by every wind of doctrine. Well yeah, that every wind of doctrine is not just bad Christian doctrine, it's bad secular doctrine. Well yeah. I mean, well Christ said, I don't
1: want you to be lukewarm. That's neutral territory. He said either be hot or either be cold, because he can work with that. But if you're if you're riding the fence, it's really hard to break through some people's mindsets. And I found it interesting with the way that you created the characters in the book, and and you know you you brought up different elements of you just you just mentioned it a few minutes ago, but the different elements of of sex that you know the church battles with, but in your book, one of your characters says something a bit profound, and I actually just kind of read it over and over again. And the character, ladies and gentlemen, so you have to read the book. Sugar, the stripper. So, you know, he said fake lives have side effects and seems to be true. If a Christian isn't sold out totally to Christ, would you agree?
0: Yeah, well, that's uh, yeah, that's interesting. So that is. Yeah. So one of the characters is a stripper. Um, now, to be fair, I made that part up, folks. I that's not part <laughs> of my life. So, um, wow. Well, I never put it this way. Okay. The dating part of the stripper is made up. Okay. Yeah. So I guess. Yeah.
1: Well, what here, Thor, let me help you because I read, ladies and gentlemen, I read the book and I will tell you the storyline works perfectly. Uh, for a lot of you who read, it's almost like you'll see the movie literally playing in your head. And Thor, I can see this becoming a motion picture.
0: Well, that's interesting. That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't gotten there yet because I don't know. We, I don't know. I don't know how we'd make it, but uh, I'm surprised it's a novel. To say the <laughs> well, I mean, it, it was published by a, a we would call a, I I guess, a bo- boutique publisher. Um, you know, they're they really committed just to the, the content and, uh, you know, hopefully something more literary. That was the goal, but other people decide that um so i don't know the i heard i heard i heard this once i don't know if this is true but i heard that in in uh in Ma- in the larger christian fiction world there're certain subjects you can't even bring up in your novel which i found absolute i, I just i mean I, I don't know if it's true but i find how do you write about real life if you can't write about real people yeah. Um, and how do you write about that in, in a Christian? Because what I was looking for in, so I became a Christian my freshman year of college. I I had this great English teacher, my junior and senior year of high school. She was amazing. And uh, she taught us the base. I remember our junior year, she like did some tests with us. And like, she said to our whole class, like, you guys still don't know the basics of grammar. We're going to spend this year diagramming sentences. And so we spent the year diagramming sentences. And the next year we had her again, and we spent the year writing essays once we knew the grammar and so once I started writing essays, she started encouraging me um, she goes, "You really have a gift for writing and she just said, fictionalize your essays if you want and then she started introducing me to different authors that I you know would have never come across um, but my for my for our final, we could choose our own project and I chose to write a short story and so uh, I wrote this short story I still have the I still have the whole short story but I'm going to frame now the cover, uh, the first page of that short story because she wrote down the the margin in red ink, all along down the margin. But one of the things she said in that margin is uh, she said, keep writing because one day you'll be published. And her name was Mrs. Osborne, and so I always kept that in mind. And so when I entered college, I was an English major, and I wanted to become a, a novelist. I wanted to write. And then, uh, long story short, transitioned into stand-up thinking I would still write while doing stand-up, not realizing that stand-up takes such dedication to get to, to, to learn the craft that I had to put the writing on kind of a back, though I was still writing, but I was learning how to write comedy. And so, and I don't, I never regret that because learning how to actually write comedy and what, that, you know, you just really have to learn that craft that that plays a part in everything I write now from screenplays to novels. And so, um, But she introduced me to this whole world. So when I became a Christian, I was looking for authors that wrote from a Christian worldview that wrote like Hemingway or Fitzgerald or J.D. Salinger, the people that I was reading that uh, uh, really influenced me. And all I could find, the only novel I could find back then was a novel called Christie by Catherine Marshall. And uh, if people don't know Christy, it's what uh, Dr. Quinn medicine woman was basically based on in, in a loosely uncredited way. <laughs> but, but uh, there's a whole long story behind that in Christian, uh, you know, adventures and Christian entertainment, I guess you'd call it. But I couldn't find anyone that wrote from just the more that the contemporary or modern voice. Uh, and then I came up, you know, in, in, I came across Leif Enger a few years back. Now, Leif Enger, if people haven't read him, uh, now, he doesn't publish in the uh, Christian market. He publishes in his, – his book was actually a number one bestseller, uh, Peace Like a River, and he's an amazing author. He would have, he's the author I was looking for all those years ago that I couldn't find, but I heard someone say this once, or I read this, but they said if you can't find the book you want, write it. And so that's what I tried to do with this novel. I wrote the kind of Christian novel that I'd been looking for, uh, at least from from my life, which was dealing with contemporary characters and contemporary issues, but from a Christian worldview. And so that's what I'm trying to write. I actually have four other novels and in, in this family line that uh, I'm hoping to publish in the next three years is my goal, but we'll see what happens. So... I'm just trying to get people to read this one. <laughs> Maybe get the next one published. You know, but I, what I loved about it is the
1: dialogue between the characters is so real. I mean, I can literally, you know, when I, when I was reading the dialogue between Sam and Sugar, and I'm like, that is a real, honest conversation. And, and you could see... You know where they were each coming from because you slowly revealed the background intertwined uh between all the dialogue and it I mean, thor seriously it was perfectly written i loved it because ladies and gentlemen when you read the end times comedy hour this amazing novel it doesn't you don't need a degree and uh and neurology to understand it. Okay. You don't even need to know the difference between Genesis and Revelation. When you read it, you're gonna go, ah, this is great, you know, and you can relate to the characters, even the stripper. It works because I you know with Thor I could literally see those characters in real life having that conversation. That's why this book is so good. And but you also made a comment that. You call Christianity the one religion that doesn't exist without the miraculous. Now, many of my viewers and listeners, they're believers, and there are some that are not. So
0: uh, explain the why
1: to those that are not.
0: Well, I mean, Christianity doesn't exist without the resurrection of Christ. That's This is what the whole religion is based on. It's based upon a miracle, you know. Uh, well, it's based upon multiple miracles. You know, he was born of a virgin, miraculous. He was God come to earth in the flesh, miraculous. Um, so if you just go with the premise that, uh, you know, <laughs> we have a creator, which I think is the most rational premise uh, to go with. I I just don't understand the mentality. And I actually have a uh, one of my books is called The Honest Atheist, uh, where Sam becomes you know, this, the character from this book. Uh, his This character becomes best friends with the character that becomes the leading atheist author. He's kind of the predecessor to all the new atheists. Um, so again, this is set back on the, um, this comes just a little later than the end times comedy show, but the honest atheist set in the early 2000s. So he's a predecessor, but they become, uh, you know, really good friends. And so, uh, but the thing I've never understood is treating atheism like it's, rational in any sense whatsoever i mean to me the only rational atheist is a nihilist if you're an atheist and you can say nothing absolutely matters then you're at least consistent but the atheist who has all kinds of uh moral objections that's the thing an atheist with moral objections doesn't work in an atheistic worldview i mean i'm getting off track here but
1: uh No, i get it because in the end they're going to believe in something they can deny the existence of God. But in the end, they're going to have a belief system somewhere.
0: So and does that make a started was the most rational belief system is that there's a creator. And then the second most logical thing is if, if there's a creator, the only way we can know anything about him is if he's revealed himself. And so that's just logical. Uh, and so Christianity is just like, Hey, he has, and this is, who he says he is. Now, you can disagree with this, but this is the logical implications of Christianity. And and the great argument to me, which is evidence, is if you have a man who claims to be God, then he would influence the world the way Jesus Christ has. He would be the most influential figure who ever lived. If a man, if God came to earth in human flesh, he would be the most influential person who ever lived, who ever walked, who ever spoke. And you find that in Jesus Christ. So yeah. I think the miraculous is confirmed by the evidence that's wrapped up in it also, but that evidence also is the resurrection. So resurrect the resurrection is miraculous. We've been claiming this from day one. We're not claiming a spiritual resurrection. We're claiming he physically rose from the dead. It's miraculous. He's still introducing himself to people now. People still meet him through the miraculous workings of the Holy Spirit in our lives, where he takes residence, God. Uh, the 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 the, the uh, how? What's the old book's title? There's a um uh, uh the life of God and the soul of man. That's what we find. That's what a Christian is. Have, we have the life of God and the soul, our soul. The life of God and the soul of man, which is also a miraculous. So what I did in the book is I one of the satir- one of the satirical elements to me is someone who's to trying to deny the faith. But keeps encountering the miraculous. So, yeah. the, to me, I, I found that funny. And so, what I did then is I took p- th- things that people had shared with me. Um, so, you know, I would say these are extra biblical. It's like now the the miraculous element is biblical. These particular incidents are people had shared throughout their lives different things that happened to them, and they're like it's very interesting. And I just kind of you know filed them away, and then. Some of those I brought out slowly in the in the novel. Just this character again, trying to run away from Jesus, and just literally uh, being uh, running into the miraculous all over the place. Now, some of it I fictionalized, of course, and some of it I used for uh, you know almost a, uh, and almost like a uh, like a parable in one sense. I took the idea of being crucified with Christ and made that somewhat of a parable throughout the. A novel, but in a very subtle way, you know, because I think that's the whole thing. You're trying to sell a reality, so you, the the satirical and and uh, parabolic would that be the word elements have to be subtle. Subtle. So that's what I tried to do.
1: So when when people read your book, what do you hope they get get from it?
0: Well, um, I hope they get the idea that you can do other things with Christian fiction. That's what, that's what I truly really hope because I didn't, you know, I, I never began as, a, as someone who's trying to do films and, and novels. I think the mistake that the church has made with the arts is trying to use arts as a tool for messages. And I feel like, all right, if we take a biblical look at creation itself, um, now the heavens do declare the glory of God um but they don't preach us the gospel. You can't get the gospel from looking at creation. You can get some idea of who the creator is, but you can't actually get the gospel itself. So the creation is there so that we'll seek the creator and how he's revealed himself. Now I feel like good that's what good art does. Art is not art shouldn't be a sermon in disguise. Um, that's that's my feeling. You begin with a story. You begin with some sort of compelling idea or compelling story, and, and that's what I always begin with. You have to begin with the story, and that's what you're trying to tell. You're trying to tell a compelling story that interests people. I'm just trying to tell it from a worldview that assumes Christianity is true, and that's the difference. I mean, a secular author is trying to do the same thing. They're trying to tell a compelling story. But often they tell that story in a worldview that assumes Christianity isn't true, so they have a different worldview that and every story comes with a worldview, as I mentioned before, and so I'm just trying to do it uh, and and what's interesting is even if you read Hemingway and Hemingway was a lapsed Catholic, um, and yet he still had this respect. Uh, now you know, I don't believe Heming- Hemingway's My my I'm making a uh, an evaluation here evaluation. Hemingway was not a born again believer <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. I, don't, I think he would even say, uh, no, I wasn't. But he did have a respect for the Christian view of the world. And I think you even find it like somebody said this that the West is Christ haunted, that we can't get away from the reality of, of the Christian worldview in one sense, and who Jesus is and how he's influenced our, our worldview and the lives we live, even if we deny him. Um, and so I think you find that in a lot of novelists you find that their novels are christ haunted in the sense that they are still writing from an assumption that Christianity may be the truth. um, so I think you find that in a lot of the novels um of people from different generations. now, again, some people write from uh a different worldview, but all I'm saying is that the Christian who believes the Bible should just do their art from a worldview that assumes this is true. And that, that informs the worldview. It informs the characters informs the story. It informs everything. Now it doesn't have to preach. So when people read it, they can just go, Hmm, I wonder if, you know, maybe that the, the way creation does make them seek the creator. That's the idea. So, cause I think we, we, um, I think we do a disservice to how, what God means for art. When we try to make it a, Well, let's put it this way, folks. We're living in an age where you can watch Netflix, Prime Video, or anything else, and you know you're inundated with their particular gospel. Every (laughs) television show has this particular false worldview that they're shoving down our throats, and we say it like that because we resent that they're shoving it down our throats, and they are. Yeah, well, that that brings me to another point. Tell me about the protest show. Oh, well, the protest show. (laughs) Well, the protest show was the way to To me. That's my pushback. I, you know, I I normally don't do political comedy, but uh, and the protest show is not a endeavor that is uh, financially benefiting me in any way whatsoever. It is truly just came from, uh, you know, I used to be one of these people. Let's say four or five years ago, I, I was of the mindset that a preacher should never talk about politics from the poll. That was my point of view. It was like, you shouldn't do it. It does In the long run, it doesn't matter. blah bitty, blue blah blah And And some people still subscribe to that uh, particular naive point of view, I think. Um, but today it is politics itself. Now, I've always believed our faith informs our politics. I've always believed that. Um, but I believe now that more than ever, politics is a worldview divide. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean everyone who's conservative is Christian. But between the left and the right, there is, a, just, there is a demarcation. There is a worldview divide. And I think it's incumbent now upon preachers to, when it comes up in Scripture, to address these things head on. And I think we're in the state we're in now because we haven't addressed these things head on. Too many preachers have been afraid to talk about the evils of abortion. Too many preachers have been afraid to talk about Romans 1 and just state there's only one reality for sexual relationships, and that's between a man and a woman in marriage the way God has instituted it and ordained it. And I think too many preachers are just afraid to speak the, the simple truths because of the way they're... Uh, perceived now, now I feel like we should have been doing this all along. Yeah. Uh, now, again, we want to do it in, in you know, uh, Politically probably not as harshly as I stated it there. Yeah. But we want to still speak the truth clearly, pointedly, and lovingly. Yeah. And, and I think that's what we need to do. Now, the protest show came from my just going, I can't believe this last election. I can't believe it. I can't believe that. I can't believe what's happening with journalism today yeah and the media there is- it's, it's, it's astounding because yeah. i grew up in it i grew up in a democratic home uh that i could say these folks were classic liberal in the sense that they said you should be open-minded and hear both sides of the story you should walk in another person's shoes you know it was kind of the you know the atticus finch view of, of politics in one sense and that that always stuck with me that you know it it, it wasn't it wasn't like my my parents weren't ideologues they yeah. were working class people, which is, you know, why they were with the Democrats back then. But that's all changed. I mean, the Democrats are certainly not the party of the working class individual anymore. That is mythical. Which is why it's so interesting that so many, you know, uh, of the poor working class would even associate with the Democratic Party. Uh, it's just now that there's this narrative about Repu- the mean Republicans and the yeah. uh, white nationalism, and just and it's just all narrative. It's just you're being fed a story. And you're buying that story. And to me, the protest show is a way to push back in true peaceful protest and combat some of this ridiculous thinking because we're living in satirical times. So I get together a friend of mine, Ron McGee and we write the show, and we we probably spend a couple hours writing it and about an hour recording it, and there's the show. Yeah, but just think
1: what's going on in today's world gives you so much to write about, so much ammunition, and, it, and technically it should be a comedy fiending frenzy, but a lot of comedians won't touch it because it's too hot due to so many groups becoming very militant in their attitude. Right, right. I love, again, your book, The End Times Comedy Hour, because it's the storyline is so real. It's so relatable. And I like the fact that You write it from a worldview because too much of the church continues to talk to the choir. They don't talk to the harvest that is there to be reaped that Christ told us about. Workers are few. The harvest is there. Go get it. And your book reaches those people that need, well, you know, in a way, I I look at your book as a a different uh, ministry tool in a very peculiar way.
0: Well, I think it can't. It's like if somebody reads it and they get, you know, because I we do mention some things, like they could we I mentioned other sources in the book that they could go to and truly find the gospel, such as the book of Galatians. <laughs> like, yeah. the Bible. So that that book comes up. Now we don't expound upon it. But then I bring up Martin Lloyd Jones, I think, at several points. And um, so there's there's people mentioned in the novel that if they're if it piques their interest, they can certainly certainly go to those sources, and they're great sources, I would say. You know, the the book of Galatians, Bible number one. And right behind that, Martin Lloyd-Jones, you know, the greatest preacher of the last century, probably.
1: (laughs) Well, where where can all of my viewers and my listeners get your brand new book, The End Times Comedy Show?
0: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you can get on Amazon right now. Um, I would say wherever books are sold, but uh, I don't know right now if it's what bookstores it would be in. But Amazon's your best bet. I mean, I still have to go with Amazon in terms of. You can get a hardback version, or the paperback, or the or the Kindle version is the the least expensive. Um, I don't know if it's the I don't know if it's the, the recession, but uh, the price is uh, the paperback and the hardback are a little pricey. I'm gonna, I didn't set the price; the publisher set the price, but the Kindle's reasonable. So you can get the Kindle version and, and read that. But uh, yeah, I would just encourage people to go to Amazon, just put in the End Times Comedy Show, and it should pop up, and they'll see the cover. It's got the uh, it's a cover. It's a it's a it's really the Hollywood Walk of Fame. It's a certain, it's a short shot of the Hollywood Walk of Fame.
1: Well, I can tell you one thing. You may end up with your own star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame by writing books like this. And again, ladies and gentlemen, if you have not seen Thor Ramsey on screen, I'm going to do a quick little picture. You've got to see the film. Church people, you will literally laugh out loud. Hopefully, you will even laugh at yourself because it is one of the best Christian comedies out there. Um, and again, get the book, ladies and gentlemen. If you, if you love to read like I do, but you really want to read something, well, like I said, it's a literary work of art because of the way Thor wrote the book. The character development, the, everything about this book is absolutely spot on. So again, just like Thor said, head over to Amazon. And look up and buy the End Times Comedy Show book by Thor Ramsey. Thor, it's always an absolute pleasure to have you on the program.
0: Thank you again. And if they buy it and like it, write a review. That's really helpful.
1: That's right. So I got to get on there as well to write the five-star review. Oh, I appreciate that so much. You bet. So ladies and gentlemen, Thor Ramsey, the End Times Comedy Show book the novel you will love it i can pure i can absolutely guarantee that because i fell in love with the book and i will thor i will be shouting it from the rooftops and again thank you for being on the program thanks again for having me all right ladies and gentlemen stick around because i will be right back with more